0: That our scripture reading this morning is from Daniel 2, 25-35. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this and who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be? But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and, beheld, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening." The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces, And became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is God's Word.
1: Here's the big picture. In 1446 B.C., God rescued Israel from bondage in Egypt and led his people to the Promised Land. After 400 years, God gave them a king by the name of Saul. David, then Solomon, followed Saul and led a united kingdom that lasted 120 years. When Solomon died, his son's bad judgment split the kingdom in two. The northern kingdom, called Israel, moved steadily away from God and reaped judgment in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom, called Judah, had some good kings along with some bad, but the general trend was away from God. The southern kingdom was judged in 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian king, utterly destroyed Jerusalem and took a remnant into exile. Our first glimpse of Daniel is in 605 BC, almost 20 years before the fall of Jerusalem. Daniel was taken to Babylon where God used him in amazing ways for almost 70 years. The book that bears his name tells us about how he stayed true to God in a hostile world. And it gives us a glimpse of spiritual challenges we will face in the future. We can learn from Daniel's example and Daniel's prophecy
2: how to stay true to God no matter what. And by smooth words... He will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. That's a passage from Daniel chapter 11 verse 32 that is telling us about something that is going to happen in our future. It's actually telling us about something that is coming. I don't know if it'll come in our future, but it is in the future. Maybe we'll experience it. Basically, what he's saying is that the pressure is going to be so intense that even people who, in some cases, name the name of God are going to abandon him. But those who know their God will display strength and take action. Daniel chapter 2 actually declares some of the things that prevailing saints know about God. And this morning... We're going to gain five insights into the character of God that are based on Nebuchadnezzar's dream reveal, which is what Daniel is providing. And we'll look at this both this week and next week. Now, here's a plus, here's kind of a bonus. This morning, you also get your first future reveal from the book of Daniel. He's actually going to show us what human history looks like from the time of Nebuchadnezzar until Jesus returns and so some of what he is going to predict in this vision is yet future think of this as kind of the the big overview and subsequent visions in the book of Daniel are going to fill in the gaps and provide more detail but this is the big picture And so this week and next week, we'll be able to unpack what that big picture looks like. Here are five insights that we can learn from the book of Daniel. God has a plan. Prevailing saints know God's got a plan. And God knows what transcends human wisdom. It's a fancy way of saying God is way smarter than we are. Number three, God reveals mysteries it pleases God to let us in on things that we could not otherwise know. Number four, history is headed where God intends. God is going to bring human history to His conclusion. And the last one, God's plan rocks. And I'm gonna—I'm sh- playing with the words a little, but I'll, you'll understand it when we get there. First, God has a plan. This is one of those places where I just. I have to marvel. I look at what God did and I go, that is so genius. Let me explain. So Arioch, Daniel comes to him and Arioch brings Daniel to the king pronto. And he goes, hey, king, I found a guy. As if he had anything to do with it. In Daniel 2.26, we read this. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen in this interpretation? So Nebuchadnezzar is saying, are you able to reveal this? Now, what's going on here? God is going to give to Nebuchadnezzar or through Nebuchadnezzar a master overview of human history culminating in the return of Jesus. Some of it for us. Is historical. It actually already happened. We'll be able to confirm some of those details as we work through. But some of it for us is future. For Nebuchadnezzar, all of this was future. So basically, what he, God is going to do is going to say, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen from you are here all the way to when this rock comes. Now, think about the options that God had in terms of how he could reveal this. For example, option one, he could give the total package to Nebuchadnezzar. He gives Nebuchadnezzar the dream and then he gives him the interpretation. What's going to happen if that happens? Well, Neb's going to show up and go, man, I must really be something. Even God wants to talk to me. And it would have played into his pride. God could have given the total package only to Daniel. What would have happened then? Well, hey, there's some kid here who says he's got a vision of what's going to happen. It would be totally ignored. So what God does is God gives an encrypted message to Nebuchadnezzar. He gives him a a message that is very clear, but he gives the encryption key to his man, Daniel. Daniel. By giving the message to Nebuchadnezzar, but denying him the key, understanding the message becomes this national priority. I mean, you've heard about the Babylon Bee, but I think the more serious work was being done by the Babylon Inquirer. And I can imagine some of the headlines after this vision. King can't sleep and heads will roll. (laughs) Sultans slams soothsayers, say that one quickly. And then, as the dream is revealed, boy, wonder causes king to do faceplant. All Babylon is in turmoil. He's had a dream, he can't recall it, and he's desperate to know, and people are going to die. So this is on everybody's radar. The delivery method is a dream. Now, who of us can be proud of a particular dream? Hey, I had a dream. There's nothing merit worthy in a dream so God gave to Nebuchadnezzar the dream part but he only gave to Daniel the key. Now he was given the whole message but he was doing what he was doing in a way that allows the message to have maximum exposure By the way, chapter 2, verse 4 begins the section in Daniel that's actually translated in Aramaic, the language of the people. I'm speculating here, but it is hard for me to not imagine that all Babylon was asking, so what was his dream? And what was it about? And here's a... Lingua franca, everybody speaks it, Aramaic. Here's an Aramaic account of what actually happened. My conclusion, God is pure genius because he provided a message in a way that does not play to Nebuchadnezzar's pride, although we'll see in the next chapter what he does, but it allows his man to be the one who gives the interpretation Second thing we learn from this passage is God knows. God knows what men do not. No one among men, regardless of aptitude or skill, has what it takes to discern what God does. Daniel says this in verse 27. Daniel answered before the king and he said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. In other words, what I'm going to tell you is not something that comes from men. Even Daniel doesn't have what it takes to come up with this message. In verse 30 he says, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me. It's not because I'm a smart kid more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. God knows what's coming and no amount of men thinking, brainstorming, is going to come up with what Daniel reveals because God has revealed it to him. In his prayer earlier, last week we looked at this, he says, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. God knows all things. In Romans eleven thirty three, Paul says this, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. This is really referring to the omniscience of God, which the short definition of that is God knows all things. Let me give you the expanded definition. God's intrinsic comprehension, intrinsic means he didn't have to go to school, he just knows it, whereby he concurrently knows, now concurrently means that God is not like a massive hard drive, and he has to access something to get it into RAM, you know, when we say it's, and I'm increasingly experiencing this as I grow older, I know it's back in there somewhere. I just have trouble getting it out here in the front of my mind. God concurrently knows all things. I can't even wrap my mind around that. But let's make it practical. God knows you intimately. He even knows what you're thinking right now, which is, this guy is a little, I don't know. He knows what you're thinking, and he knows what the person next to you is thinking and the person behind you is thinking fully, completely, God's intrinsic comprehension whereby he concurrently knows, now get this, all things actual and possible. In other words, he doesn't just know what is, he knows what could be. You know, if Buddy decides to do something, this will happen. But if Buddy doesn't do that something, he knows what will happen. And he knows these things completely and perfectly. Implication. God is worthy of perfect trust. God knows. God reveals mysteries. This one is fun. Because God knows all things and he's willing to give us access to what he knows. Now, in this particular chapter, chapter 2 of Daniel, He says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. These are things that no man could know, but God has chosen to make that known. He wants to let you have access to something he knows. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. It pleases God, who knows all things, to provide vital information for us. It pleases God to let us in on divine secrets. Now, in Nebuchadnezzar's case, it was actually an overview of the progression of what we will call the five kingdoms and how they end. And these five kingdoms are basically the five main chapters in the history of men on earth before Jesus returns. Now, some things we can discover about God on our own. For example, Psalm 111:2 2 says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. But other things cannot be revealed by any amount of working at it on our own. It's only when God decides to let us know. Now, let me show you a couple examples of this. Because what's happening in Nebuchadnezzar is not this... This is not just for him. It's not just a Daniel thing. So, for example, on, uh, when, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, this is from Matthew 26, 31, and 32, Jesus said to them, he's speaking to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now the disciples, what's their answer? No way. That is so not happening. And six or eight hours later, oh yeah, it's happening. Now after this, even Peter says, uh, I am willing to die for you. And Jesus says, no, before a rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Jesus wanted to reveal to them what was coming. It was going to serve their benefit in the case of David there's a very interesting account in Samuel I love this one because it illustrates the actual possible thing now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him so he said to Abiathar the priest bring the ephod here then which was a device by which you could communicate with God then David said "O Lord God of Israel your servant has heard for certain that Saul was seeking to come to Cali to destroy the city on my account Will the men of Kelag surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O oh Lord Jesus, O oh Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Kalah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. So here David is saying, I would like to understand something that I can't get. Would you please help me? Is Saul going to pursue me here at Cala, where I'm currently residing? And if Saul comes and surrounds the city, will they say, We're going to give him up so that you don't destroy our city? And they will. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Calah and they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Cala, he gave up the pursuit. So Saul never came, because David left. In other words, God provided insight into what will happen if you stay here such that David was able to do something else, and those things did not occur. That's who our God is. He wants to tell us things that we need to know so that we can be ready, so that we can respond well. It pleases God to give us future information, and he does so out of a desire for our good. God's advance information is always delivered right on time. We can only act in the present. I, I can't act in the future. I'm in this moment right now. But if Jesus will give me information about what is coming, I can start preparing now for what is coming. And sometimes that's what God does. So here we are at 603 B.C. This is year two of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And through Daniel, God gives Nebuchadnezzar and the rest of the world insight into what's coming. In Daniel 2.28, he says, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days, meaning the days between now and when Jesus comes. Through Daniel... Uh, God gives Nebuchadnezzar an overview of the sequence of this five future kingdoms. So here's Nebuchadnezzar who's in year two of his. He actually gets a glimpse of what's going to come after him. And he likes what he sees. Then he sees what's going to follow and what's going to follow and what's going to follow. Seventy years later, almost 70 years later, in 536 BC, Daniel is now an old man. He's In his 80s probably and he started praying God what are you going to do with Israel you know Jerusalem has been flattened what's going to happen and he started pleading with the Lord now we'll get into this in more detail if uh, God allows us to get there but in Daniel 10 verses 11 through 14 listen to this Daniel was praying God please show me what's going to happen and an angel was dispatched. In fact, on day one of his prayer, that angel was dispatched. And he eventually arrived and he said this to Daniel O oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And there is, he pled with God, and God said, Angel, Go talk to Daniel. Here's the message I want you to deliver to him. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been held there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision pertains to days yet future. So what just happened here? Daniel prayed. God said, I want a message to go to Daniel. And picked someone from his angels and said, take that. But a demon or some kind of spiritual force of wickedness decided, we can't let that message get out. And opposed him for 21 days But then Michael Came in to provide and assist And the message got through to Daniel God's providing Daniel With a master matrix of the future And the delivery of that message Was thwarted by dark forces For 21 days Because they're threatened But through the assistance of Michael He made it possible for the message To be delivered God wants to reveal mysteries now we'll unpack that passage when we get to it let me show you a couple more just because i want you to see this is actually a part of how god operates in john uh, 12 49 through 50 uh, the passages are in your bulletin insert uh, jesus actually makes this statement he says god told me exactly what to say when i come to earth and so he did He communicated the message that was the message that people needed to hear. uh, Also in 33 AD, in Acts 1, 6 through 8, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend, the disciples are saying, so are you going to inaugurate your kingdom? And he says, you're not asking the right question. Here's what you need to know. And he gives them information they need to know about what's coming. In 55 AD, in Matthew 24, 15 through 16, it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Jesus actually clarifies that part of Daniel's vision in 536 BC is designed to give us readiness for something that is coming. Here's one from 90 AD. This is when the book of Revelation was written. And the book of Revelation was information that Jesus decided because God gave it to him, my people need this. So here's the beginning of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. God said, my people need some information, and now is that moment. So 90 AD plus or minus, I can't be totally confident of that, but it's within a few years. God decided in 90 AD, my bondservants need some information. So God gave it to Jesus, and Jesus gave it to an angel. And an angel brought it to John, who wrote it down for us, the bondservants of the Lord. And by the way, here's a beatitude. Blessed, this is verse three. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Those who hear and apply this message are to be congratulated, according to Jesus. Bottom line. You know, I'm showing you these things just to give you a glimpse of something. God chooses to reveal the future to us in order to promote our good. That's a part of what's happening here in the book of Daniel. You're going to get your first overview. God knows. And God, it pleases him to reveal mysteries in order to promote our good. So that we in the present can do the things that are gonna prepare for what's coming. Number four observation we can make is that history is headed where God intends. By recounting this dream, Daniel provides an authenticity stamp. You know, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm not gonna tell you my dream. Had he forgotten it? I think so, but I can't say that with absolute certainty. But by declaring the dream, This was an authenticity stamp. Obviously, what this kid is going to tell you is the real thing. And in this vision, Daniel recounts it, and he says, You saw an extraordinary statue. It consisted of five layers, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and a mix of iron and ceramic. And then a cut stone, but not of men's making. In other words this was a stone that has been fashioned in some way but not through the efforts of men how did, what does that look like I don't know but it was apparently an exquisitely crafted stone that was beyond the capabilities of men to craft it strikes the lower extremities of this statue which sets in motion a kind of chain reaction the toes are obliterated But everything that constitutes the material of that statue is also obliterated. All of the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, and the ceramic elements disappear without a trace. And the stone, in turn, becomes a great mountain and fills the entire earth. So, you know, what's gold, silver, bronze? Now, we'll get into this next week. But basically, these are things that men produce. We mine gold, we mine silver, we produce bronze, we produce iron, and I'm going to use the word pottery for the clay, uh, ceramic. You could call it china if you want to, china and iron. But the fruit of all this human effort basically just comes to naught. What endures is not made by men. It's a stone that is not produced by the efforts of men. This image, which depicts future history, ends in something of God's making, not men's. And so Daniel, he didn't say this, at least not that's recorded in the text, but he just recounted his dream. And I am reasonably confident it could well be asked, hey, Neb, do I have your attention now? Because Daniel has just told him, here's what you just saw. So, Daniel would say, well, now let me unpack the meaning of this dream. Let me explain what this is about. Now, this will take two weeks to do this. I'm going to just get started uh, this morning, and then next week we'll get into it in depth. Uh, And this is the place where I'm saying one of the things you can learn is that God's plan rocks. And I'm going to show you uh, the reasons why. And by the way, yes, the rock not made with hands, that is God's plan. The rock not made with hands becomes a mountain that depicts something that is described elsewhere in the Bible. Now, in Daniel 2.44, he actually tells us the rock is is a kingdom. So this rock that fills the whole earth is a kingdom. Now, I need to do a brief, and emphasis on the word brief, if you wanted to read a great book, you could read Alvin McLean, Greatness of the Kingdom, that would be a wonderful resource, but I need to do a very brief unpacking of this word kingdom to make sure we understand something that frankly is kind of a a little bit of a riddle. For example, the the word kingdom can be used to refer to a universal kingdom that exists without interruption throughout all time. God is the king of all things, always has been, always will be, and everything that is is under his sovereignty. Psalm 145.13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. There has never been a time when God is not on the throne. This kingdom includes all that exists in time and space. For example, 1 Chronicles 29.12 says, You rule over all. God rules over everything. But in Daniel, the rock is something different because it says for example in verse 44 in the days of those kings the God of heaven will set up there's there's a starting point here will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed and that kingdom will not be left for another people it will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it will itself endure forever the rock is god's kingdom that succeeds a series of empires which it crushes and the kingdom is set up and this is an earthly kingdom it fills the earth daniel 2:35. so what's going on here how can god's kingdom be timeless and have a starting point how can it be universal and earthly what's going on here i'm confused jim me too all right let's see if we can't unpack this all right so uh, what i'm going to do is i need to kind of walk you back to the beginning of time all right so in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth all right stay there okay and yeah i think i've got it to where eden is facing you so you can kind of see the The Middle East here. This was actually based on some NASA shots. So the clouds are there. So it's, I know that's weird. But anyway, it's me. I like stuff like that. So anyway, so here's a copy of Earth. And God created the heavens and the earth. Now, all around is the universe. And I'm not really sure what is even beyond the universe. But whatever that is, the realm in which God dwells because God actually transcends even the universe, that's the universal kingdom of God. And when the earth was created and God finished his creative work, he said, that is really good. And somewhere on here, wherever the Garden of Eden is, he placed man. And it says God blessed them And God said to them, five commands, five imperatives, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So man was placed here on this very good planet that God had created that was perfectly aligned with God's will and given five things to do. He blew it. sin was unleashed and this became a rebel planet a dying planet. Romans 5:12 says therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This planet became the runaway planet, the dying planet, the rebel planet. Because our father Adam and our mother Eve defied God they actually defied the commands when he said subdue the earth it actually contemplates them taking control for good instead of ruling the animals they let an animal talk to them and tell them what to do and because of what they did this place became a place that is out of alignment with the overall universal rule of God but that's not the end of the story the rock that is coming is God's plan to restore the rebel planet that's exactly what Jesus is praying for and wants us to pray for listen to the prayer and I need to explain one thing which is the on earth as it is in heaven clause goes with all three of the previous imperatives there is here's what he's saying and I'm gonna use the phrase on earth as it is in heaven with each one father who's in heaven, hallow your name on earth like it is in heaven. Father, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, express your kingdom. Bring your kingdom here on earth like it is in heaven. That's what Jesus is longing for, is for the rebel planet to be brought back to a place where his name is honored, his will is done, and his kingdom is expressed just like it is in the universal kingdom of God. By the way, this is what Jesus is looking forward to when we have communion. In Mark 14, 25, he says, Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God which is the kingdom that is coming when the rock lands and becomes a kingdom that fills the whole earth. The rock, the kingdom, is coming with Jesus as our king. And I frankly, I can't wait. That is going to be the best communion service ever. Can you imagine that? Jesus said when he took the cup, he said, I am not going to drink this cup until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. When the stone comes, when it's established and fills the earth, and you and I will be there, and it won't be some pastor, not to diminish this, won't be some pastor saying, let us partake together. It'll be Jesus who is saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood and I have waited 2,000 years to have this with you. That's what's coming. I'm going to move this just, that's okay. It's not because the world doesn't matter. It's just getting in the way a little bit. So I have to ask, what are you living for? You know, the first part of that image, gold, silver, bronze, iron, that's basically a way of saying man stuff. Or are you living for the kingdom that rocks? Well, some of you in this room might say, well, I'm not really sure. I don't know. Well, we can fix that. In Matthew 18, 3, this is Jesus talking. He says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. To become a citizen of the king means something as simple as saying, Jesus, I deserve death, but your son came and died on the cross for me so that I might become a citizen of your kingdom and live with you for all eternity. And it's as simple as making that choice and saying, God, your son is my savior and my king. Maybe you would say, well, I've I've done that, Jim. I've embraced Jesus Christ as my savior and my king. I wonder if I were to follow you around Would I see someone who is living for the kingdom? Here's Luke 9 62. Listen to this verse. I'm going to read it slow because I want us to hear it. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Gentiles seek all this stuff. You seek first his kingdom and I'll take care of the rest. Are we a people? Am I a person who is living all in, all out for the cause of Christ my King? Well, one of the things we can do in a time of prayer is simply say, God, would you please show me? Have I turned back? I don't know if you've ever done plow work. I've never done it with a, a horse or donkey but I'm pretty confident that looking back is a good way to have things veer off have you at one point embraced Jesus Christ and yet things have veered off or are you living all in all out for Jesus who is our coming king I'm going to lead us in prayer But depending on where you're at, I'm gonna give you opportunity to be able to answer those questions and really ask the Lord to show you the answer to those questions. Let's pray. For anyone here who is not a child of the kingdom, you can pray a prayer as simple as this. Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for my sins. And I am trusting you as my Savior. And I am choosing to live from this day forward as a servant of the King. Help me do that well. For those of you who would say, I've I've prayed a prayer like that, I want you to ask this question, Jesus, is there anything in my life It is a cord of attachment to the stuff of this world. Is there anything in my life that shows I am not all in, all out for Christ my King? Father, there are ways in which we want to do better We want to be more a people who are living for the cause of Christ, who are ambassadors of the kingdom, who are sharing with people how they can know you as Lord and as Savior. So show us ways that we can do better. Show us ways that we can live in the light of what you showed Daniel and be those who are a resounding cheer. Your plan rocks because Jesus is our rock. Make of us a people who are not pursuing stuff, but instead are pursuing the kingdom and all the other stuff taking care of itself. Father, we want to be Jesus' subjects, flourishing under his rule. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.